So is this guy for real? I mean, you know, sometimes you look at him and think, that can't be real. Who stays at 143 pounds so that he can remember, I love you? Sometimes he just didn't seem for real. You ever know anybody like that? Do you know anybody like that that's just so perfect? You're like, can it be for real? Uh, you know what? To my wife, that's Tim Tebow, right? <laughs> is, is Tim Tebow for real? You know, when she's going on about Tim Tebow, I'm thinking he's not even for real. That, that just can't happen, really. And then when he got engaged, happiest day of my life, I felt like, okay, I'm safe now. Tebow's <laughs> engaged. Is he for real? I mean, Dabo Sweeney, is he for real? I mean, you know, even if you don't like Clemson, you got to kind of pull for the guy. I mean, with all the stuff he's saying about Jesus and the Lord. And is he for, are these guys for real? Mr. Rogers, is he for real? You know what? Here's what happens to people who are like that. Sometimes, sometimes they get picked on by other people, right? And people have to create some kind of a story to prove they're not really real. Did you know there are several urban legends about Mr. Rogers that came through media, surprisingly, came through media about him, and, and they were all meant to really kind of hurt him? Uh, one, one was that, and you can find many of them, just Google it, but just a couple that come to my mind. One was somebody decided that he started his show because he was arrested when he was younger for child molestation and the sentence was that he had to do a children's TV show that would kind of redeem himself. <laughs> really? Well, that was proven false and he never had any convictions. There was nothing like that. Another urban legend was that he, by the way, also included Don Knotts. Y'all know Don Knotts, right? Another guy, I mean, he, can he be perfect or what? And, and, and so both of them, it was said that they were both snipers in Vietnam and had this long hit list and kill list. And, uh, and that the reason Mr. Rogers always wore long sleeves was because he was hiding tattoos that were on his arms when he was during the, in the service. Now, you got to remember, guys, this is back when tattoos were like taboo. So they were trying, truth of the matter is, that's not true whatsoever. He never served, actually, in the service, and uh, his schedule would have never allowed time. It's proven. But sometimes people just want to bring you down because they look at it and say, it's just too good to be true. They've tried that with other Christian people who are in politics or who are in sports or athletics or entertainment or whatever field has them somewhat of a screen, somewhat of a platform. But here's what I know for, for sure. One thing we can say for sure is that who you are is going to be reflected eventually in what you do. Right? What you do is going to eventually reveal who you are. And that's really our big thought for the day. That's kind of our overriding idea that we're going with today. What you do reveals who you are. You can say you're a believer. You can say you're a follower of Christ. You can say you're a Christian. But ultimately, what you do is going to reveal your heart. You can talk about being a good neighbor. We can say, I love my neighbor and I am a good neighbor. But what we do ultimately reveals who we are. And so we have to understand that what we do is important. It is important to who we are and to reveal who we are and to let people know we are for real. Because I think there's a lot of people out there that look at church folks today, followers of Christ today, and say, uh, they're too good to be true. I'm not sure this is for real. 
So we're going to go today to a book that, or a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a town, a city called Colossae. Now, it's an incredible book. We call it Colossians. It's found in your New Testament as the book of Colossians. As a matter of fact, in March, we're going to be walking our way through the book of Colossians. It's going to be our book study for the spring, and we're excited about that. But I'm going to give you a peek ahead at what you can expect from Colossians by going to chapter 3 today and seeing what the apostle says to the church about being the kind of person who is a good neighbor. You remember for the past couple of weeks that we've talked about what it means to be a neighbor. We've kind of played with, with, with uh, Mr. Rogers because he introduced his, his, he introduced his theme with, won't you be my neighbor? Please be my neighbor. I love you just as you are. Come into my neighborhood. In fact, he called his show, right, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And he encouraged good neighbor, being a good neighbor. In fact, his theme verse, his self-declared theme verse was, love your neighbor, which was a direct quote from Jesus. You remember? Because Jesus, in talking to the religious folks, said, here's the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you think, well, how can we talk three, four weeks about that? Well, it's really been easy, and we could probably go on and on. Because here's the thing. What we've seen is this love, this Christian love, is an incredibly foundational truth for the church today. We are to love our neighbor. And the first week, if you'll recall, if I can just backtrack a moment, you recall we saw that love demands more. And that when we talk about loving our neighbor, we're not lowering a standard of, of Christianity, of faith. We're not lowering the bar of what faith is all about. Some people, I'm afraid, think that when you talk about love, that you are, are, are trying to water down. Because some people just say, oh, I love everybody, and you know, all I need is love, and I love everybody, and I'm a good person because I love everybody, and that's all. No, 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 hold on. To say that you love someone is going to require way more from your life that many of us understand. And we saw that, and we'll see that a little bit more today. And then we saw last week that we answered the question, who is my neighbor? Because if we're to love our neighbor, what does that mean? Is that a geographical? How do I know where to draw the, draw the boundaries? Is that like a, a radius of a half mile, a mile, or five miles, or ten miles? Or, you know, where we live, a 30-mile radius is not a lot of people. Who's my neighbor? And Jesus answered that for us last week. I said, really, anybody in need is your neighbor. Someone who's needing help, someone who's looking for help is your neighbor. If that's the case, then Monday morning I met a new neighbor <laughs> because he had a need that was brought to my attention, even though he lives in Ohio. Hmm. He's my neighbor. Remember, it's raising the bar because love demands more. In fact, last week, the painful truth that we learned was that not only do we have to learn the us's, you know, we talked about the us versus them, we, you know, those who are like us, and then them who are not like us. And what we learned from the parable of the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan is that not only do we have to love us, we have to love them. Whoever them is for you, and that's tough, 
Well, now we're going to get even more specific. And, and today, maybe it's as practical as I can get and, and talk about what does a neighbor look like? What does a neighbor look like? And Paul gives us a description that's incredibly important. In Colossians chapter 3, beginning with the 12th verse, I want to just kind of read down through verse 17 and let's just unpack it a little bit together and let's learn what we can learn about how we are to be neighbors, what that looks like. Now, you've got to set the context, or I've got to set the context for you. Since you didn't get a chance to read all of Colossians, chapter 3 opens up in this context. Chapter 3 opens up where Paul is talking to people who have experienced new life in Christ, right? So that's anyone who, you know, can I just say this? It's easy to say we're a Christian today, but sometimes the word Christian and the idea of a Christian is a wide range of stuff that may or may not be biblically true. I mean, it's easy to say we're a Christian. And some people would say I'm a Christian because my mom and daddy were a Christian and my grandparents were Christians. But, but if I understand Scripture, that alone does not make us a Christian. Now, I'm thankful that my mom and daddy were Christians and that my grandparents were Christians. And I think that helped me along when it came to my age and, and my choices in life. I think that helped a lot. But that didn't make me a Christian. I wasn't born by one or become one by hereditary, right? Or, or some people say, well, I'm a Christian, <clears throat> meaning, you know, I'm a good Southern American, <laughs> you know, and we're just Christian. This is the Bible Belt, and I'm just a Christian because I have good morals. Well, I'm glad you have good morals, but people who are not Christians still have good morals. And so that, that can't be it. No, being a Christian means that we have new life in Christ. The old man, Paul said, has passed away. And all things have become new. That means we're different. Jesus used the terminology and the explanation of, the illustration of being born again. It's just like we have this new life. My wife and I had the opportunity this week, well actually her, uh, technically, but I've been involved in the last several weeks in dealing with a young lady, and my wife this week had an opportunity to lead her to faith in Christ. You know, yes, that just makes your week. There's nothing like that. And so we, as we talked with her afterwards, we said, you know what? It's, you're just like a baby now. I mean, really, I'm, I'm, I know you're 30 years old and have babies, but you're just like a baby. And this is a brand new life. And you have to learn. You have to learn to crawl. You have to learn to take some milk. And then you have to learn to eventually have some meat. It's just like growing up like a baby. Why? Because you have a new Life And by the way, you have a new power within you to fight some of the things you've been trying to fight on your own. It's new life in Christ. And Paul talks about that in the opening of chapter 3. He talks about the new life that we have in Christ. And because we have this new life, he says we ought to seek things above, not on things on the earth. In other words, he said, you're going to look at the earth as a totally different place. And you're going to see your role as being quite different. And I'm going to introduce you to the way you ought to act in this world. And you know what? The normal person is going to look at that and say, if you do that, you're going to get run over. But I'm telling you, this is the way to live. And you can't live this way without being run over. So what does he say? Well, beginning in verse 12, he says, Therefore, or because of this new life, that's the therefore, because you have this new life in Christ, therefore... As God's chosen ones, I wish I had time to unpack that a little bit, but think about that, that God chose you. 
That ought to get somebody excited. Because i got to tell you, when I think about my life, I wonder why would he choose me? Why would he care about me? The mess I've made on my own? I know my heart. Are you kidding me? As God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, please understand, if you're a child of God today, you never have to fear not being loved. You may not be loved by the human race. You may not be loved by whomever you're thinking has abandoned you. But you're always loved by a heavenly Father. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on. Now, hold on a minute. I put that in red for a reason. Here's what he does. He uses some illustrative speaking here to help us get the picture. Anybody here, are, are anybody here like me? I'm way more visual than audible. I learn better visually than audibly. I mean, you can tell me something, and I, it's okay, but if I see it, I'm a whole lot better, right? I guess what I'm saying is I don't like to read instructions. I like to look at instructions, right? I want to not just hear it. I want to see it. Well, here he's giving you a little illustration so that you can see it better. He's saying, now, your new life in Christ, it's like this. It's kind of like you're taking off something, a piece of clothing, a garment, and you're putting on something different. <laughs> Let's go to, Dr. To, to Mr. Rogers, right? What does he do? He comes in on the opening scene. First thing he does is what? Takes off his sports coat, right? His dress attire, his work attire. Takes that off, hangs it up, reaches into the closet, and puts on a cardigan, right? Because why? The idea is it's more comfortable. Actually, he leaves the tie on, which says to me, that ain't any more comfortable than you were. But anyway, that's okay. I'm, I'm just not a tie person. And then he takes off the old hard shoes that are the dress shoes, the work shoes, and what? Flips them into the air, puts on his, I don't know what they are, cons, vans, whatever, comfortable, ties them up, right? I, you know where I am on that. But anyway, he's trying to, he's putting off and putting on. So Paul's going to use the same analogy. He says there's some things that you need to put off. And there's some things you need to put on. Now, he's already talked about the things you want to put off. And I, I'm not going to really go into that this morning. You can maybe talk about it in your small group. Or, or maybe you can look at that on your own schedule, your own time, and your quiet time. I want to talk about what he says to put on. Now, watch what he tells us. When you take off the old man and you put on this new life, here's what you're putting on. Put on compassion. Compassion. Ooh, yes. To suffer, that really comes from two um, two Latin words meaning suffer with. Compassion means that I suffer with. Compassion, I think, is different than feeling sorry for someone. I can feel sorry for someone and then go right back to what I was doing. But when I suffer with someone, it changes me. I, I can't just ignore it. Now, I may not be able to do what I would like to do for that person, but at least it affects me. He says, we, as believers, we need to put on compassion. Now, what he's telling us is this is what it looks like to be a Christian. This is what it looks like to be a neighbor. We put on compassion. Man. Kindness. And we've talked about that. I don't, I don't need to get into that a lot, but kindness can I just say, I've said it before, I've said it so many times you're probably getting tired of it, but people tell me that when you're getting tired of it, you're just starting to hear it. So let me say it one more time. The Christian, a Christian, never has a right to be unkind. Doesn't mean that we have to be walked over. Doesn't mean that we have to be stomped upon. 
doesn't mean you can't stand your ground for what you believe, but it does mean we show kindness in doing it. Y'all with me on that? Is that possible? I believe it is. I think you can stand firm in your ground and your values. Listen, I'm not going to let anybody talk down on my values. I'm going to stand firm in my values, but I'm going to do it prayerfully with kindness. I'm not always good at that, but I'm, I'll try, right? Kindness. Humility. Man, why did he put that one in there? Humility. You know why he put that in there? Because I, whether we like to admit it or not, <clears throat> This is the battle for every one of us. This pride, this ego, I don't know if I've ever, and I, I think I, I want to lay it to some of it to social media, uh, not that it's social media's fault, but social media has revealed to us how ultimately self-centered people are, how ultimately self-promoting people are. Social media is all about promoting me. And, and, and making sure everybody sees what I'm doing and where I'm going and what I'm spending. And Now, I'm not saying it's horrible. I go on there, too. I'm not, don't, don't you go out of here hating on me and say, well, he just ought to... Hold on. I'm, not, I'm just saying be careful when you post. Ask yourself, here's what I ask myself a question. You don't know how many things I've posted or put on the post and I, hit, I wouldn't hit the button because I thought, wait a minute, no, that's pretty self-serving, Eddie. And secondly, nobody cares. <laughs> you know, that, that's the bigger thing. No, nobody really cares. Point being, we need to learn to be humble. Amen. Someone defined humility so well. I believe it was C.S. Lewis, great Christian author of yesterday, yesteryear. C.S. Lewis, I'm pretty sure it was him who said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Right? Not thinking less of yourself. Uh, You've got to be careful here because humility doesn't mean that you make yourself out as a low life and that you're just always walking around, you know, with this Linus mentality, you know, the dust always moving around you and you're always more... No, no. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of, your, less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Woo, yes. <laughs> That's a good word. It's thinking of yourself less. And so Paul says, put on compassion, put on kindness, put on humility. And then he adds gentleness. Gentleness. The, the Greek word there is long-suffering. It's, it's the idea of long-suffering. Not that there's anything wrong with being gentle. Right? I know we men want to kind of, you know, we want to kind of burl up at that one and say, bow up at that one and say, we can't be gentle. You can be a, well, by the way, is there anything wrong with being a gentleman? Gentleman? Huh, nothing wrong with that. Gentle, long suffering, forbearing is the idea. Forbearing, that's the idea, staying in there, not giving up on people too soon. We have a value that we try to stress at our office all the time. And we stress it all the time because we're not particularly good at it. But then again, we're trying to get better at it. And that is this, always looking for the best in someone until proven otherwise. You know what our tendency is, right? Our tendency is to look for the worst in someone until proven otherwise. Why not look for the best in someone until they show us different? And then we have to realize that. Gentleness. And there it is. Patience. Makrothumia in Greek, and it means slow. You know what it means, really? Slow to burn. Slow to burn. In other words, not to get hot. 
The idea is not to be hot-headed, okay? I, I know what you're thinking. I, if you're honest, you're thinking like I was thinking this whole week. Wow, these things just eat at me. They just eat at me all the time. And I'm like, wow, patience. This doesn't stop, though. Look at the next verse. He goes on, and he says, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. I wish I had more time here. But really, forgiveness is a whole other series. You know how many of us are in bondage because we can't get to a place of forgiveness? We, are in, we, we allow ourselves to be held in bondage because we can't bring ourselves to forgive. He says what we need to do is put on forgiveness, forgiving another if anyone has grievance against another. And then he adds, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Now, why is this so important? Let me just hit on this, and I'm going to touch and move on. It's so important because forgiveness is something really that helps you. Right? You say, well, they don't deserve to be forgiven. Well, probably not. At least in your eyes, because what did we say last week? Everybody's a hero in his own story. <laughs> Truth to that if you think it through. Maybe, maybe, they don't, maybe he, she doesn't deserve to be forgiven. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say, as they deserve it, forgive them. If they deserve it, forgive them. When they deserve it, forgive them. Now, he says that we need to forgive just as also, what? The Lord has forgiven you. Now, here's what we know from the gospel. This is from the gospel. We know that he forgave us when we were still his enemies. Not when we deserved it, not because we deserved it, not after we earned it, not after we proved ourselves to him, not after we finally got showed that we have value to him. No, he loved us when we were his enemies, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, while we were in our stinking dead sin. He loved us. Aren't you glad that he forgave you? Before you really earned it. And now he's turning it around and he's saying, hey, this is why you forgive. You don't forgive because somebody deserves it. You don't forgive because somebody earned it. You, by the way, you don't forgive because you think that they're justified in what they're doing. You're not admitting that at all. I had somebody say to me recently, well, I'm not going to forgive them because I just don't think they were right. Well, hello. I'm not saying you have to think that they were right. I'm not saying you condone what they're doing. It has nothing to do with it. But there has to be forgiveness because the writer of Hebrews says if there's not, there's a root of bitterness that grows in our heart. And that root of bitterness becomes anger. And that anger becomes malice. What's he saying? He's saying it just grows. It just starts with a little seed of bitterness in your heart. And that bitterness grows. And as it grows, you begin to think on it. And you begin to get more and more angry. You begin to fill with anger and wrath. And then before long, that anger just begins to boil over. And you're going to wrathfully do something that you're going to be sorry you did. So he says, you ought to put on forgiveness. And that's not easy. I read something this week. I wrote it down because I didn't know if I'd remember it. I, I thought this was interesting. I saw it on a friend of mine's social media. Hello, I'm, I'm not again it, okay? Here's what he said. He said, forgiveness means I won't bring it up to you. I won't bring it up to others. 
And I won't bring it up to myself. Amen. That's a pretty good word. Forgiveness means I'm not going to keep reminding you what you did. I'm not going to start telling everybody else what you did. And I'm not going to remind myself what you did. It reminds me of the passage that says that when the Lord forgives us, he puts our sins as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more. He doesn't constantly remind us. He doesn't tell others, and he himself has forgotten. So he says, this is what Christians look like. This is what we look like. This is the characteristics when we live in this community. This is what a Christian should look like. And then look at verse 14, something incredible. He says, and above all, having said all of that, above all, put on love. That's what we're talking about. Put on love, and then watch this, which is the perfect bond of unity. Love is the belt that holds all of these other things on. And when we have all of these other, love is the thing that brings all of these forgiveness and patience and kindness and compassion and humility, brings it all together into a unified state. And that's what a neighbor looks like. That's what a Christian looks like. If you want to look at behavior, not just what we say we are, but who we really are, if you want to see what we do, here it is. These characteristics bound together with a belt called love. A bond of unity. Man, I just... I just, I don't have much time here, so I can't can't really say what I want to say. So I'm going to just hit it and off of it. If the church would love this, the church would be a different place. Church would be a different place. You say, why are you picking on the church? Because I'm part of the church. I can pick on us, right? I'm not going to talk about people I'm not. I'm talking about me. If, If we could learn to demonstrate These characteristics, these traits bound together with genuine love. Not because I'm supposed to, right? Not, Jesse, I'm going to forgive you because I'm supposed to. What's that? No, man, I'm going to forgive you because I love you. Right? You know, it's not, Derek, hey, I'm going to be kind because that's what I'm supposed to do. No. I'm kind because I love you. You see the difference? I'm convinced... You can be humble without love, but you can't love without being humble. And you can be kind without love, but you can't love without being kind. I'm just saying that's what he's saying. They all come together. Now, what's the result of that? Watch this. What's the result of that? And what you're going to see in the next verses, when I get there in just a second, is you'll see a couple of what I call standalone verses that we, we hear a lot and we quote a lot, but we don't even know the context oftentimes. We're going to see them in this context. Here, here's one of those standalone verses. He, here's what happens when we love with the characteristic and the traits that we just talked about. Look at the next verse, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Amen. <laughs> You've heard that before, right? Let the peace of Christ, to which you were called in one body, rule your hearts. Now, now hang on. Stay with me. This is very important. Don't miss this. 
I think he's referring to two kinds of peace here. I've read this, I've studied it, I've looked at commentators, I've looked at the language, I've tried to make sure we understand it, and, and in fact, all of our communicators have tried to get together, we've talked it through, and here's our conclusion. We think there are two kinds of love referred to here. First of all, two kinds of peace, I'm sorry. First of all, a peace, an inner peace that we have in Christ, and we do have an inner peace. And by the way, if you can learn to demonstrate in love those characteristics, it will give you a peace. You will even, even have a peace about forgiving somebody you really don't want to forgive. You'll even have a peace about being kind to somebody when you'd really rather blast them, right? I mean, really, somebody told me this, this week about something where they're, they let their, um, let their patients get away and they kind of blasted somebody. And my response to it was, man, it felt good, didn't it? <laughs> Let's just be honest. Doesn't it feel good? I said, but here's the problem. Paul said, that'll eat away at us. It's not how we behave. And somebody look at you and say, and that is a Christian? He, she is a Christian? Because you see, here's the thing. People know. Man, I'm especially, I'm especially sensitive to this because I, I, I'm always a fair. I have one of these moments when I'm in town and I really want to... Yes. Listen, I'm no different than you. Don't look at me funny. I, when I really want to just tell somebody what I'm thinking and how terrible that was and how stupid that was and da 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 And then just as I'm ready to do it, I think, what if they show up Sunday morning <laughs> to the orchard? Let's see, I know that guy from somewhere. And you know what? You've got the same responsibility I do. You're not up here on the platform, but they know. They know. And so there's a peace that comes from inside. But secondly, there's a peace that rules the body. Woo, yes. He says when we have this kind of behavior, if we can get to this place where we truly love one another and we put on these traits held together in a bond of unity through love, peace rules the body. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If we just could have peace in the body of Christ. That, that sounds to me just a shame that I even have to say. But wouldn't it be nice if peace could just rule in the body of Christ? I got a lot more I could say there, but I'm not. And be thankful. Did you know peace and harmony stirs thanksgiving in our hearts? Well i got to go to the next one. Verse 16 tells us how it happens. Here's how it happens. He says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Want to know how it all happens? Listen, when we are, de when we are demonstrating the life, the characteristics, the values that Christ would have us to have, when we are letting love bind us together in unity and peace rules, then the Word of God is at home in our hearts. That's what it means when it says that the Word of Christ dwell. The word dwell there in the original language has the connotation, the idea of being at home. It's not the same as just a visit, right? I mean, if I come to your house and I visit, that's one thing. I'm visiting the home. That's wonderful. But 
There's a difference when I'm close enough, when our relationship is close enough that I feel home, right? That you can come into my home and kick your shoes off at the door and walk through the house barefoot, sit down in the chair, kick back, relax, ask for a cup of tea. Cup of tea. That sounds like my wife, a glass of tea. That's being at home. So the idea is that the word of Christ be at home in you. That is not a stranger that you just invite in every now and then, but someone who is resident within you and at home. Hallelujah. And there's a part of your life. The word of God becomes a part of your life. And when the word of God becomes a part of your life, not just a visitor every now and then, but becomes a part of your heart and a part of your life, then you know what happens? You begin to grow. You gain wisdom. You, you, begin, you, you begin to learn through teaching and you begin to worship. I don't have time to unpack all this, but notice he says encouraging one another. How? Through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. A lot of good stuff there. I don't have time to talk about singing to God with gratitude in your heart. I, I wish I had time there. Singing, I, 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 not everybody sings, I get that. Not everybody sings, I understand that. I really like singing. My dad said that he would only sing two songs. I'll never forget this. He always used to say, I only sing two songs. What are those two songs? The two songs are alone and in the garden. <laughs> I think he was sending me a message. It's only, only two songs I sing. Not those of you who don't know church hymns, that doesn't mean anything, but... Point is, he wasn't a big singer. But I'm glad I learned to sing. Can I just encourage you? I'm not, I, really, I understand that everybody likes to sing. Can I just encourage you to try it? Just try it. You may like it. Just try it. First of all, you don't have to sound like your favorite artist. Right? You're probably not going to sing like Carrie Underwood. Have you heard that gal sing Amazing Grace? You're probably not going to sound like that, right? You're, you're, probably, you're probably not going to sound like Toby Mac. I know. It's tough news. You're probably not. But God said to make a joyful noise unto the Lord, and that gives me license to do it. Now, for those of you who've always wondered, why is it that Pastor Eddie sits on the front row? Because I can just sing as loud as I want to and none of you hear me. Can't beat it. Can't, oh, you do? Sorry. <laughs> well, here's the point. I'm not singing for you, right? I'm singing songs with, to God, singing to God with gratitude in my heart. I'm just saying, try it. I'm not getting on to anybody. I understand. Just try it. Start off soft. And you who hear somebody behind you, just tell them, hey, that was really cool. Glad to hear you sing. I don't care. Anyway, that was just extra. That was not in my notes. Not sure where that came from. So let me just give you the takeaway and we're done because my time is up. Here's our takeaway. Here's what I want you to take away from everything. What you do in your neighborhood matters to God. Yes. Right? Because, I, I didn't get verse 17. Let's go back to verse 17. I'm sorry. I'm just jumping around, but I almost forgot. This is important. The last verse. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do what? Everything. Here's the point. Everything matters to God. How we act, what our attitude is, how we present ourselves, what we take off, what we put on, 
everything matters to God, do everything in His name, that could be unpacked greatly, but suffice it to say, here's the takeaway for us today. It matters to God what happens in your neighborhood. How you treat your neighbor matters to God. Now, why do I say that? Because I think that's the, mo the greatest motivation I can have to being a good neighbor. That's the greatest motivation I can have. You see, honestly, at times it would just be better for me to just go ahead and tell people what I think. It feels good. But it matters to God how I respond. And he's told me no. And that's not how you respond. It's not how a Christian responds. It matters to God. What your, neighbor, what your neighborhood happens, what happens in your neighborhood, and what happens in your life. Pray with me, would Every head bowed, every eye closed. Well, God, man, I just covered so much today and yet feel like I've left as much out as I put in. So, Lord, I just have to trust you and believe, oh God, that you're going to take control at this point. And that you'll just speak to our hearts the truth that we need to glean. God, would you just touch our hearts and lives? Help us to realize today, God, that everything we do matters to you. And what happens in our neighborhood with our neighbors matters to you. How we treat people, how we help people or not help people, how we act toward people, how we represent you before people, all that matters. And even if some things make us feel better, they're really not better. So teach us, Lord. Shape us, Lord, into your likeness and into your image. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.